Welcome to Politicking with Jason Whitlock, hosted by Curtis Schoon. Good morning, Jason. How are you today? Awesome. Awesome Tuesday afternoon here in Nashville. Yeah. I got my little Isley, uh, Ronald Isley beard going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to bring up the, uh, the verses thing, but uh, first thing first, what's your thoughts on Major League Baseball moving the All-Star game from Atlanta to Denver over the the voting ID legislation? Uh, wow. I, you know, from what I understand, Colorado has stricter uh, voting laws than Georgia. Uh, and this just seems like a gimmick in terms of, I think Atlanta's 51% black. And I'm sure there's a lot of black businesses that were going to benefit from All-Star Weekend. And black people mayor of Atlanta seems to be cheerleading this. Yes. I mean, this, is, this is assisted suicide and you know, we are you know, we're applauding Dr. Jack Kevorkian for helping damage us. I think they said Denver's 71% white. Again, not that I want to judge it along racial lines, but I'm just if the end game to all of your racial politics is allegedly to help black people. I don't get this. This isn't helping black people. It's not Atlanta's known as Chocolate City. Uh, and so part of me thinks like Major League Baseball may have been looking for an excuse to get out of Atlanta. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, they were given one by the usual suspects. They they tapped their the elites in Atlanta, the black elites in Atlanta, and said, "Hey man, the bootleggers. Something to punish us. Yeah, we need to do something to punish y'all." And we assisted our own suicide. Yeah, uh, uh, D.C. is known as Chocolate City. They have another uh, they have another name for Atlanta. It's not as flattering. It rhymes with ATL, <laughs> it rhymes with ATL, but uh, you know, but, but but anyway, um, just full disclosure, right? Um, I've never been into politics until perhaps maybe Obama's second term in 2012, and and this is going to tie into what's going on in Atlanta. Because beginning in 2012, it started becoming blatantly obvious to me that the whole purpose of the black elite, the tastemakers, if you will, or whatever, intellectual units, as I call it, is to mislead, misinform, and facilitate the exploitation of the average black person who, through blind racial allegiance goes along with this willingly. So they always talk about race. And the emphasis on race is to get our blind trust and support. And yes, you're right. Um, Keisha 
Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta. She is among the black elite. She fits the mold. And the damnedest thing to me is how they how they facilitate the destruction of us at every step of the way. What do they think is going to be their value when we're totally decimated? Do they think by some chance that they're going to be accepted? It seems to me the only purpose that these people have is to manipulate us and exploit us, which is why anytime someone is, I don't care who it is, if they emphasize racial rhetoric, slavery, civil rights, I'm very suspicious of them. it doesn't make any sense, and you're correct. Atlanta is about 51% black, and there's a purported hundred, uh, hundred I think they said $100 million in business being redirected to to Denver. So, so what you really have is the black elite, who I call the bootlickers, and they're redirecting that money in a pandemic where everybody's hurting to a city that's 71% white. And normally, I don't really, I try not to talk about race, but it's kind of hard when everything that's being said and directed at us is race-based. So you have to you have to meet them right where they are and expose them for the frauds that they are. You know? I, I'm, this whole Boulder thing, this that oh, it's racist to acquire ID or uh, I, I I don't know. I guess that's the that's the big complaint that this somehow these rules that they put in are voter suppression and they're trying to stop black people from voting. And again, the media says this. And I've never seen a, a group of people that so believe other than us. It, it's the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, handful of Democratic politicians. Hell, Joe Biden has called these laws. New Jim Crow, worse than Jim Crow. Jim Crow on steroids, <laughs> I think he said. And well, he would know, right? Yeah, but I, I'm I'm literally just like, who believes you? Who, who takes them at their word? Why are we so accepting of this narrative? Uh, because there's just no truth to it. And if you look beyond and see what the real end game is with all of this, it's all about uh, the illegal immigrants and making it easier for them to vote. And it's all about replacing us as the reliable minority base for the Democratic Party. And, I mean, we're clearly being sold out uh, by, you know, Keisha That's who they are. I, I just... I'm just sitting here in amazement that we're going for this 
And and I I think that this COVID deal and the lockdown, the reaction to COVID, the lockdown, this is one of the most damaging and horrific things I think I've ever seen happen to the American public in terms of we don't gather anymore. We all we sit at home. The experience of life through a laptop, a cell phone, or a television. Where throughout the history of mankind, you know, we used to experience life by going out and engaging with other people. But I mean, literally, like there's there's a movement or there's a momentum to like instead of participating in sports, you're a gamer. And gamers are now sports leagues, and it's everybody sitting by themselves in front of a laptop or some kind of technological device and experiencing life that way. And and look, I, I had video games when I was a kid, but man, we went outside and played, and playing on a team was the ultimate, and getting out of the house was the ultimate, and and so I'm just. We're all, we're all more easy to control, trapped in this technological matrix. And this, their control of information and their, you know, I was looking at, uh, my, my, my Twitter feed and just the, the blowback I get for at any time pointing out that, hey, man, perhaps this black athlete mishandled this and should have handled this this way. And all of social media, just there's this algorithm and the bots and whoever the, the activists are, the people that think, oh, I got to protect these black elites and somebody's criticized. And it just creates the momentum of, of, of scaring people of like, don't ever say anything to black people that's truthful and to their benefit you will be annihilated over social media. And so I looked at the people you call bootlickers and influencers and celebrities or whatever. They can't maintain their popularity by telling black people the truth. They must lie in order to maintain their popularity and hold their position and to collect that check. And and it's just like a never-ending cycle of stupidity and degeneracy that's being foisted on black people, and that's our culture. And so let's run the all-star game and $100 million out of our city that would have benefited the people right here. Let's run it out uh, because it's going to be popular over social media. Shit's crazy, man. It's, it's mind-blowing, man. And and, and and Denver has Colorado has voter ID laws as well. And it's <laughs> but that's that's what the bootlickers do, you know. I despise them the way some people think they despise racism. Because I see them as the problem, you understand? I think if they weren't around aiding and abetting the real racists, the ones who redirected that money from a fifty one percent black city to a 71% white city, a liberal city, you know? The white liberals constantly eat our food. And 
nobody serves it up for them better than the bootlickers. And they tell us, these are our friends. Those guys on the other side, those are your enemies. And I'm not saying anybody's our friends, because I, like I said, I wasn't even really into politics. I, I'm a more do-for-self kind of person. And when, when I started getting involved in politics, it wasn't about Democrat or, or Republican. It was about trying to, to help black people. And I'll work with a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, a Libertarian. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I have no alignment with any political group, foundation, or anything. So when I first got involved, the things that I saw in, in Detroit was some of the things that's addressed in this um this SB 202 signed by Governor Kemp in in in, in Georgia as far as serving water at the voting uh polls and food and all these things. I actually saw that. Um there's even there was even transportation. You provide transportation. Now I'm sure everybody has their, their motivations for why they want what they want. But here's an unbiased, albeit maybe not fully informed opinion based on my observation. It seems like one party wants to make the voting process as convenient as possible for people who are going to vote for them, right? And the other party wants to make things not so convenient for people who aren't going to vote for them. Now, where the, le where the legality is in all of this, I don't know. From what I read with this uh, SB 202 in Georgia, I didn't see anything wrong. I, I think, and, and I didn't read it in depth, but from what I saw, deadlines were changed. Instead of being, being able to vote, or register 180 days out. It has to be, I think, 60 days or, or 30 days. So it's, it, it, it revolves around mail-in ballots. My thing is, if somebody wants to really vote and have an impact on their community, none of these changes that were introduced would deter them, can deter them at all. Those changes will make it difficult for people who probably didn't really want to vote in the first place. So you had to make it so comfortable that they could damn near vote from bed. You know what I mean? Like, without putting any thought or energy into it. I don't see the big deal in it. I, I really don't. But I'm open to someone showing me or telling me what the problem is with these voter ID laws, because I don't see the problem. Well... I I think I'm gonna take the risk of I, I'm not going to go that there's equality on both sides. And we both have agendas that you know because I just don't believe that. I, I I believe and again I've never voted. Likely unlikely to ever vote. I'm not gonna get you know I'm an observer of politics, but I'm a critic of politics. Uh. The Jim Crow stuff from early 20th century, uh, or 
right after emancipation all the way through the 1960s. That was primarily done by Democrats. Primarily. And uh, so all the... But those were Dixiecrats, though, right? <laughs> they, were diff- they weren't the Democrats of today, were they? Didn't they all leave and go to the Republican Party? I don't buy that. Okay. No, I think... See, I don't think, I think tactics change. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think agendas change. Tactics change. They did, and I so, agree. And so the tactics that they use in Jim Crow no longer work. And so the offense, the strategy, or the goal is still the same. It's just they've adopted a different tactic. And so it's no longer about, well, shit, we lost that. Black people have the right to vote. And so now it's like, how can we undermine and limit the influence of the black vote by uh, bringing in another group of voters, illegal immigrants, uh, and, and replace them? And so it's just a different tactic. The, the go- undermining the black vote is still the agenda. It has remained the agenda. I don't buy the narrative that all oh, they all caught religion in the switch party. No. They didn't. They just changed tactics. It's just like Notre Dame football in the 1900s ran a, a, a wing tee. And now they don't. They, they still want to score touchdowns. But they just use a different, they use a spread offense and it's blah, blah, blah. But Notre Dame hasn't changed. And so I don't believe the Democratic Party has changed. I don't, I think, and I'll get crucified for saying this, but I honestly think the Republican agenda is this. If only Americans, legal resident Americans, were allowed to vote, they believe they'd win more elections. And so their, their goal is to make it so you actually have to be a legal residence, and they, they believe if there's less cheating in elections, they'll win more elections. The Democrats are like, more cheating, and we'll win more elections, and so we need to safeguard all the things that allow us to manipulate the vote. There's just no reason anybody should be against, hey man, you gotta have an ID. Any of the people that don't have an ID, shouldn't vote. Because they're so damn irresponsible. If they're too irresponsible to get an ID, they're not that they're not informed voters and so that's what I think the agenda is that has remained uh for the Democratic Party. I I, I also think that we as black people and I may have said this last week on the myself. We can't continue to think that our best strategy is hey, whatever antagonizes white conservatives is good for us. That is our political philosophy and seems to be our life strategy. If I can just if I can just piss off Trump voters or Donald Trump or conservative white people, I've done something good and it's going to help me. That's the depth of our strategy. Because if you can tell me that as black people, illegal immigration 
just think it all the way through. Does it really help black people? And and if again, if they ever engage in that conversation, then go study who's actually in charge in these countries where people are leaving and coming to Central America and Mexico, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. It ain't the dark-skinned people in those countries that are in charge in those countries. So this whole myth that all, all the browning America, no, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> because trust, them light-skinned illegal immigrants who come over here, they're not with black people. And they're not, uh, their agendas and, and eventually they're going to be light-skinned enough or they are like, you know, they're going to pass for white. They're going to no different than Italians taking vows off the end of their name and just assimilating into whiteness and everybody else. It, it's, it's just not a thought out strategic. We're playing a game of checkers and a game of chess and everybody, bootlickers as you call them, yeah. are, are there to, they only want to explain the game to the people that they're allegedly leaving. Well, I think um, I, I agree. If if you're not willing to do what it takes to qualify to vote, then you, then you don't really deserve to vote. You know, it doesn't mean that much to you, and you're showing that. But again, some of the things that I noticed working on two campaigns, I think if you have to provide transportation for someone who isn't elderly or handicapped. That's not a good sign, right? Because if if both if that person wouldn't go to the poll, unless you picked them up at their door and took them back, I, what do we fed them lunch? Yeah, and fed them <laughs> lunch. I've seen this happen, right? Yeah, uh, yo, and I and also and, and also, I'm wondering, like when I saw this happening in Detroit, I was wondering. Do they do this in white neighborhoods, white communities? Do they pick these? I don't know. Maybe they do. But when I saw it, I was stunned because I was always of the impression that people go to the polls, wait in line, and vote because it meant that much to them that they would they would wait in line to cast their vote. And I, I also understand the argument that if you're for a particular candidate and you're feeding people and transporting them, then the likelihood is you're really you're really kind of like buying their vote, you know. You know, I understand that argument. So I my thing is, no matter how you interpret it, what's wrong with a level playing field? If what applies to me applies to you, then it shouldn't be a discrepancy, you know. And from state to state, they're changing laws or they they're making laws or whatever. I I, I think. I think real voters, people who who are willing to wait in line and and do what's necessary and follow the rules, those are kind of like the people who would be most informed, who deserve to vote, who who should be making the decisions. People who don't know what day it is, who don't need ID because they don't have a job, they're living off the grid, well, stay off the grid. Don't come on the grid just for the election and go back off the grid. 
I, I mean, that that is my take on all of it. I just wish that all of these people, celebrities, whatever, they would lend their voice to educating the community, not just directing them. And when I say education, I don't mean formal education like social studies and all that. But these issues that we are saying are so crucial to us, wherever you stand on it, you know, there needs to be some kind of forum, a, 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 a real town hall. These celebrities, they do what's easy. Everybody does what's easy. They go on social media and they tweet or they post something on Facebook or Instagram. Today I saw Tyler Perry is pushing uh, vaccinations for black people in Atlanta. That same Tyler Perry, if he announced that he was going to have a town hall meeting and have various experts about any subject, there people would come out just to see him and hear what the other people have to say. I, I I don't know if they're not thinking, if they're not willing to put in the work and the time, but some things need to be explained to people. They need to be doing, especially us, things need to be explained to black people. Let me be specific. We need to be doing things for with more purpose than to piss off white conservatives or to hate Trump. Let's get a real in-depth understanding of the issues. And if, if, if we happen to be a celebrity-obsessed community, well, maybe that's a way celebrities can do some good with their celebrity rather than just get a, a narrative and say, okay, good, I'll, I'll promote this. My job is done. Or I'll write a check and get a tax write-off. My job is done. We sorely need that in-depth um, exposure. And while the celebrities may not be the experts, they can sure get people to come out and listen to the experts and ask questions and have them answered. And I think that would be a better way for us to use the celebrity, celebrity to our benefit rather than to our detriment. I, I think that's the role celebrities used to play, but I think big tech and social media has, you know, disrupted that. And uh, again, celebrities need the relevance of social media to make money. And, uh, you know, the easiest way to get crossways with social media is to give black people good advice. And, <laughs> and so they're just not going to do it. Uh, you know, the other part of this, Curtis, that, that I think, you know, we should, you know, spend a hot second just talking about is just like, Major League Baseball, corporations are in control of politics. This, you know, you've had Delta, American Airlines, Coca-Cola, maybe McDonald's, all of these people, all these corporations have spoken out against Georgia and what Georgia politicians, elected Georgia politicians, have done. Corporations have come out 
and and are trying to impose their will on the electorate in, in Georgia, and that seems highly inappropriate, and, and it just seems wild to me. And again, look, if, if these were corporations that were speaking out against, you know, uh, the laws that, that actually denied black people the right to vote or to go to schools or uh, shop where they want to eat at lunch counters, ride in the front of the bus. I, I, I would get it. But these are laws about election integrity and 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 this myth, because again, I, I don't know any, I really don't know any black people that don't have an ID. I, Same, I here. Don't. Same here. And and this whole myth that somehow is some this hardship and it's like the black experience has been mythologized to a point to where we promote it and everybody accepts it like there are black people in America that are so beaten down and put, they can't even get out of bed to get an ID and get a job <laughs> white supremacy has done such an incredible job on them they can't even get an ID and we just accept them we just allow our image and reputation to be abused and promoted as hey these are the dumbest people in America they can't get an ID, and look at these Republicans trying to force them to get an ID. I just, I just, I want to slap the shit out of some of these people that are promoting this. And again, Curtis, I'm just, I was poor. I, I was poor, living in a 400 square foot apartment with my dad, one bedroom apartment in the hood, and we just weren't that stupid. We were functioning. <laughs> My dad was a really smart person. I, 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 I don't get it. Well, you know, I, I, I want to choose my words carefully. Uh, but, fuck it. A lot of people are just lazy, man. They're not stupid. They're just lazy. They want things and they don't want to do what is required for them to get it on their own. And I don't know what percentage of the people are that, you know, personally, I don't associate with anybody like that. You know what I mean? I don't know people like that, but they exist. They really do. And um, as far as the IDs go, I, you know, I, I posted a tweet last week and man, it, it just took off with the interactions, with the retweets and the likes. And it was about this ID situation, and it speaks to what you're saying. I have a friend, childhood friend, who spent 27 years in prison. He came home on December 23rd, 2020. And within 60 days, he had his social security number, birth certificate, and a driver's permit, not a license. He has to have the permit for, I think, 90 days or something. And I'm wondering, man, if he can get an ID, 
what's everybody else's problem? <laughs> like, he, <laughs> like, like when he went to prison, there wasn't even smartphones out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it was like, it was that long ago. And, 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 and he came home and he's working and he's doing what he got to do. And, and ID was not an issue for him, man. He had to wait. And he got his, he obtained his, his documents in a pandemic. It's, it's, it's not that hard. And I'm tired of the bootlickers and their minions and all the educated idiots making everything racial just to, just to be the Negro wranglers that they are. Um, every time I hear somebody talking about racism, I, I get really suspicious about them. They write books about racism. They do documentaries about racism. Every time you see them on TV, they're talking about white supremacy, this, that, the third, and all that. And then meanwhile, when you look at the, the hand holding the check that's paying them, that hand is white. I, I really believe in America, right? At least in this modern era, black has taken on a different connotation. Black is really um, a, a, a code for political ideology. You're only black if you're a Democrat. You're only black if you're liberal. You're only black if you go along with every single liberal talking point, even if it has no direct impact on you whatsoever. And these people, and you see them on social media all the time, they aren't building a damn thing. They got a lot to say. They're not even in the community. They're on TV. And they are misrepresenting and misdirecting black people all over this country for their little 30 pieces of silver. And they are the goddamn problem. They really are. And I'm not in denial about racism or any of those things. But I will say this. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about the police. I'm not thinking about the KKK. I'm not thinking about white supremacists. I'm thinking about, you know what? How could I end this day better than I started? And that's it. That's it. And uh, so many of us, right? We either don't have no fight in us. We don't know how to fight. And we just won't be honest. We look to tap out before we even get out of bed. We just look for any reason or excuse to quit. And if you got quit in you, man, we don't need you anyway, man. Get on out of here. Well, most human beings, if handed an excuse, will take it. Uh, and so we've been handed many of them. And I, I think I'll add one more thing to your definition of blackness. I, I think the primary identifier right now in popular culture is black. You must believe white people owe you something. And that white people are responsible your success or failure. That is the number one thing. And so if you're black and think like, no, nah, me and Jesus, we got this, and I'm going to go, you know, you're not black. You're 
a sellout Christian. A coon. Uh, yeah, all of that. And so, you know, it, it, if, if we can, my, my favorite topic this week, Curtis, is actually this Lafayette War in Nigeria. Oh, man. Because it, it speaks to my primary passion in, in, in life and primary passion as it relates to uh, black people and, you know, how do we move forward. The Lafayette War, that right there, another Georgia guy, Atlanta guy. Another uh, bootlicker. Promoting liberal, promote yes. liberal ideology. Yep. Yes. Preaching at Martin Luther King's former church, Ebenezer Baptist Church. Been the pastor there for 16 years. Uh, now he just got elected to Congress. Uh, I think he beat the Kelly Leffler. I, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Leffler. Mm-hmm. Leffler, Leffler. But uh, he tweeted out on Easter Sunday that. Uh, I don't have it directly in front of me, but basically he he said that through good deeds we can be as a Christian. He said that you know not just Christians, but through good deeds all people we can save ourselves. And for a Christian minister to to tweet this out and to say this blew my mind because at the foundation of Christianity is the belief that Jesus died on the cross for our salvation and our salvation is through him. Period. End of story. There's no debate about any of this. And he basically was saying, well, if you're an atheist and do good deeds, <laughs> you, can, you can, literally, you can, you can get the same benefits as a Christian. And White people over Twitter, Christians, call him out on this. It's like, hey, man, this, this is crazy. This is not true to the gospel. I can't believe the minister put this out. But, but and then Joy Reid on MSNBC was defending him, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, the man deleted the tweet. That says it all. It, it tells you everything. Yeah. But, but it also tells you everything about us and what has gone on and so I call them pulpit politicians. And so we're not teaching the gospel and it's all connected. We used to be black people. We used to be the most religious people in America. And again, I, I go back to why I believe religion is important in terms it promotes a fearlessness in you. When you believe God is on your side and you accept religious principles called through Christianity and principles called in other religions. Uh, you have a fearlessness that allows you to be bold and allows you to go take on the world. And I look at black people and everyone's talking the loudest in the media space. They're all cowards. They're all scared. They don't want to leave their house. They, they want to be triple masked when they leave their house. Uh, everything is fear-based. And we, we've become a, again, we're sitting here having a conversation about why won't black public figures, celebrities, or whatever, stick to the truth. It's fear. They're so afraid of, 
oh my God, my benefactor may abandon me. Uh, my, my, you know, I, I may not be as popular and make as much money. Everything is fear based, and it's because we've walked away from our religious teachings, and 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 I almost get to the point where maybe we've been dumbed down to the point that we can't even understand what's written in the Bible. Uh, and, and so we rely on people like Warnock to tell us mm. and rather than to do our own research and own understanding and he's incentivized to lie to us and play politics. Uh, but, but to me, what Warnock did on Easter Sunday, a minister, an ordained minister teaching at Martin Luther King's former church, to me, just captured everything that has gone wrong for us as black people. We, we have, we worship politics. We have a political agenda. Again, this guy's a minister and he's pro-choice. He's in support of abortion. And LGBTQ. <laughs> yeah. He advocates for LGBTQ, yeah. And he's a minister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's abandoned everything for politics, and that's that's what drives me crazy. And I just, I just, I wanted an opportunity to go off on that rant today, um, because it, it, the, the whole war knock and to see it happening in Atlanta and Dr. King's church, and I had some people over social media say. Look, man, he, he's following in the footsteps of MLK. <laughs> he became very political, you know, and started abandoning, you know, the gospel for <laughs> politics. And so some people are like, he, he, he may be right on point in terms of hey, where Dr. King ended up. You know, um, King, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, um, Calvin Butts, a lot of, a lot of ministers for whatever reason, seem to become political more so, more so than, you know, um, a preacher. I, I, I just don't know, man. It, I, I don't know what's going on. I'll, I, I'll be honest, and this may be considered sacrilegious, but when I look, my understanding of what it takes to get in the public eye and get certain support, I don't know if there's really that much of a difference between what Warnock is doing and what King did. I just don't know. I don't know anymore. You know, I, 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 the more I learn, the more I reevaluate things that I once believed, man. And it's, it's not nice, man. But as far Help as. Help me understand that point. Go, go. <laughs> How would you? What did King do? You know, I'm not disagreeing with you. Well, look, it doesn't matter. You can't disagree with yeah. me because I don't agree with you on everything. You know, but right. well, here's my thing, man. You know, when when you look at it, King, he he was a reflection of the times, right? So when you put it in that context, King didn't openly advocate for LGBTQ rights and feminism, but ultimately 
feminism took a big leap forward with the Civil Rights Act and the organizer of the March on Washington where he made that I Have a Dream speech was Bayard Rustin, an openly gay black man who was also um, revealed to be a CIA asset. And King, one of his top uh, advisors, uh, someone who backed him financially, and some even claim that he helped write some of King's speeches was Stanley Levison, who was a who was a communist sympathizer when Ethel and Julius Rosenberg went to trial for um, passing the A bomb secrets to the Russians. Levison was on their uh, defense team. So when you start looking at the people around King. Although he wasn't openly expressing these sentiments, I mean, he had to be aware of certain things, had to be okay with it, you know? So it made me, you know, do I think J. Edgar Hoover was a racist? Absolutely. Do I think he was right about the communist influences in the civil rights movement? Yes. Can a racist tell the truth? Absolutely. Doesn't mean you have to like him anymore. But when I look at the civil rights movement, man, there, there really is a lineage from the civil rights movement to what we see today. And a lot of us try to deny it because we've been taught and it's ingrained in us to put these civil rights icons in a certain icons in a certain uh, category. And we look at the, we look at the, the D-Rays and the Warnocks, all of them, and even the Sharptons, like they are that far removed from them. But I'm starting to wonder, are they really? See, I've said it before. Um, I, I, I have no interest in going to the African-American Museum in, in Washington, D.C. And the reason why is because I am not 100% certain that I know enough about the people that's in that museum. To, for me to celebrate them or even encourage my kids or grandkids to do the same, man. There's so much that's not being told. These outside influences, hey, they have always been in our community. And, and although it hasn't been as extreme as it is today, they've always pushed us in a direction that was more beneficial to them than us. And they did so by taking advantage of our economic disadvantage. See, I don't blame any of those older people, especially from the 60s and beyond, because I can't imagine what it must have been like to be black and be being boxed out socially, economically. I think compromises had to be made. I do, however, look at the people today who have alternatives. Like, why are you still playing that game, man? You can just get out here and make something happen. We do have other opportunities, you know, and um, yeah, and I'm not saying that to vilify anyone. And on one last point, when you talk about fear, we got to keep in mind, Jason, that uh, black people, it's not so much that we've been dumbed down, right? I think the fear factor, it overwhelms everything. It overrides everything with us. And that fear factor comes from a really, a real place. 
It's not imaginary. You know, it, it may not be as bad as it once was, but man, those things have been instilled in us for generations, and it's going to be hard to 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 work to work past them. And there are people who are very skilled in exploiting those fears that are that are deep rooted, man. We have a void as far as our identity go, man. We've been through so many different name changes. Negro, colored, Afro-American, black, Nubian. I haven't ever dated something different. And the reason and the reason why that's possible is because we really don't know who we are. Or we haven't accepted the fact that um man, this is it. We're Americans. It's tough to accept that because we feel like we're not viewed as Americans by other Americans. I think I think if the rest of the country could really understand the complexity of the psychological damage that was done collectively to our community and approach approach us in that manner, some bridges may be built. Bridge building has to be built. I would like to see one day where black people just see themselves as Americans and that be the end of that. But there has to be a strong effort that we get treated just like Americans and there be no, no, no distinguishing between us because of color. Is that realistic? I don't know, but that's what's going to have to happen. Because, again, I saw this thing the other day. I watched it. It was fascinating about Chinese in Africa. There's over a million Chinese in Zambia. And they're growing stuff. They're hiring African people, right? And they said they left China because it was crowded and polluted. And they have no plans of going back. And here we are in America, which is still the number one economy in the world. And we don't want to take ownership here and, and, and you know, take advantage of whatever there is here for us while we still can. I'm 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 gonna try to unpack something that I should unpack in writing first. But you kinda of took me there in terms of of you know, our identity as Americans. Mm-hmm. And and so much of our identity or all of our identity is tied up in our skin color. And recently or over the last few years I, I I keep debating, like, is that appropriate? Is that where I'm at mentally? I want to connect with people beyond with you who I think share my values and have an approach to life similar to mine. And it's regardless of skin color is irrelevant. I just want to connect with people that I believe are high integrity, honest, uh, Again, want to go out and get, don't see themselves as victims. Uh, and so, you know, it's, as black people, would we not be better off 
uh, abandoning our racial obsession and and for me just like falling into my Christian identity and connecting with other people and again because I got friends that are atheists and I think share many of the same values as me so it, it's not that but we have as this is where it gets tricky but for black people we and for particularly for black Christians We've fallen into this deal that if somebody is being or categorized as racist, uh, they're the worst human beings on the planet and they can't be Christian. A racist person can't be a Christian. That, that's something I hear black people say all the time. And I say that racism is a sin just like any other sin. And so uh, whatever you believe to be a sin, if that's a disqualifier for being a Christian, then none of us are actual uh, Christians. And, and then I ask, okay, just quite honestly, Black people can be racist. My father was racist. Love him <laughs> to death. Love him to death. But he was a racist. Uh, and you'll never, I, I know too many black people that have racist thoughts, say racist things, the same things that they say about the Proud Boys. I see us do say, condone, uh, and so I just we have a very narcissistic view of religion that somehow how everybody feels about us as black people determines whether or not they're in the good graces of God and uh, how we feel about other people has no bearing on how God feels about us. And it's ridiculous. And it's hypocritical. And so, again, I've said to friends of mine, you know, my first concern with people is, it's not how they feel about me. My first, I want to know how they feel about God. And that's my first thought and question. That's what's most important. Again, I'm, I, I have atheists as a friend of mine. Love them to death. It's not a disqualifying thing to me, but it does raise an eyebrow. People aren't humble enough to realize that there is, there's not a higher power and that somehow man is in control. And this is where it gets mm. back to Warnock as a Christian man, we can do this without God and blah, blah, blah. Like, wow, this dude's really saying this. But he's he's actually being honest. A lot of black people now feel this way. God is optional. And uh, I don't know if I've clearly made my point, but I, I just want to say to ask black people that may be watching this, ask yourself, just Think it through. If, if you really think that 
what's most important is how someone feels about you. Is that more important than how they feel about God? Because again, I see racism, I see it on both sides. It's just sin. It's just unfair. And we all sin. We all have different levels of unfairness that we're good with or sin that we're good with. Uh, it's not a disqualifying thing for being a good person or being a Christian. It's just, it's a person that, you know, needs to get a deeper understanding of humanity and their racism will go away or, or dissipate. Uh, but I, I just think we have a very narc, that we are so special that how everybody feels about us determines whether or not they're in the good graces of God. I think that's a preposterous position and it's narcissistic and it leads us to making bad decisions that prevent us from progressing here in America. I hope I said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write about this at some point. Yeah, you didn't lose me, man. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, but here's the thing, like, for me, right, now, I I, I do have a, a spiritual foundation. I don't really talk about it much because I don't think that me, that I'm I'm qualified to do that, you know, personally. The way I live my life and so on and so forth, I don't want to be that person that, that they'd be like, well, what about you? Let me say what this. about this? <laughs> Let me say this. Let me say this, Curtis. That's yeah. the number one tool atheists use. Well, you sin. Yeah. You, you can't say, you can't profess a love for God because you sin. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, everybody sins. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So yeah. none of us can talk yeah. about God because we all sin. I'm not. Look, my, my sins are a matter of public record. So it's a. So am I. So am I. So am I. And, and you know, I don't want to blow up everything yeah. I said. Yeah. But yeah. Again, I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't say it. I'm not a proud sinner, but I'm a sinner. Yeah. And you know, I, they're not going. My sin is not going to make me shut up. They're going to expose all my sin. Uh, that's one of the main reasons I don't stay single, so I can sin with a clear conscience. Yeah, man. You know, uh, for me, the my focus is. Um, I try to focus on economic opportunities, not just for myself, but how to empower other people in the community economically. I don't think that's the, the end all be all, but I think that plays a major part because when I analyze us, I see that we are so, so, so malleable because of our needs, you know. And I would hope that um, if some of those needs were met and not dependent upon others, that we could take care of those needs ourselves. It may give us a chance, a, a little respite, to try to figure out who we really are, who we want to be. Because for the most part, to varying degrees, a lot of people are like the politicians, like Warnock and the rest of them, in that they will... They will be who they need to be to get what they desire or need to have. 
And this is a top to bottom phenomenon, maybe not just in the black community, I don't know. I, I think the more dependent a group of people are, the more controllable they are. So it is in the interest of the people in control to keep you dependent. And if you really wanna be about uh, you know, self-determination, it has to come from some sort of independence, which doesn't mean that you hate the other people or anything. It means you figured out a way that you can rely on yourself. And I don't understand why that concept takes so much heat in our community, you know. Um, everybody will not you know, everybody will not have the same. It's, there's not going to be equal outcomes, I'm sorry. Maybe that's what it is why people are afraid to embark on that journey. Because they may get confronted with exactly who they are, you know, and I have no such fear, man. I mean, if I don't ever make a million dollars or a billion dollars, it doesn't matter to me, man. I just gotta come out here every day and do my best to be the best person that I can be. Now, as far as oh, that, hold on, Sam. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna make a point off here. Go if, ahead. if if you if your identity is through politics, you've identified you're a Democrat, you're a liberal. And everything the liberals tell you is man. You can't do it in this world. You can't. This whole thing is rigged against you. You're not smart enough. You, you, you know, you're blah, blah. And so if you, once you accept the liberal definition of who you are, of course you're insecure. Of course you don't have a belief in doing yourself. You know, your whole ideology is built around the fact that you can't do yourself. And that the government has to prop you up. And so you're a thousand percent right in terms of independence comes from being able to stand on your own two feet and then negotiate with people. Yeah, Once you can take care of yourself, now you're in position to actually negotiate. The, 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 the reason I was able to walk away from Park Sport is because I can take care of myself. I'm capable of building something else of value, and again, that's, I'm not remotely demonizing Fox Sports, but but that's the position you want to be in. You can stand out of eye, no, man, I'm good, and I'll figure out a way, and, and but we are always in a dependent position. We have no leverage, and that's why we keep signing bad contracts and bad deals and sending Major League Baseball games to other cities rather than benefit myself. Yeah, it, it's tragic. It's, it's, it's such a severe mindfuck, man, because the challenges are real. However, they're exacerbated to make us feel like we can't deal with them on our own. And that's where the bootlickers come in. And, and they, they reinforce that fear at every turn. Oh, orange man, bad. Oh, it's going to be the, 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 the conservatives in the South, the racists, the KKK, this is a lynching, blah, blah, blah. And man, I, I can't imagine being so frightened. But see, 
when you're dealing with a, a matriarchal community, and and I might take some heat for this, but I, I don't give a damn. I think I think women are naturally more fearful than men for different reasons, right? And um, when you have women, when you have women at the forefront of any community or movement, it, they're going to be manipulated more easily with fear, and and that's part of the reason I believe women are being uh, elevated to these positions. That and some other things, you know what I mean? But definitely the fear factor. The last thing people who want to control you want are strong men who will stand up to them, who will resist, the real resistance. Not this fucking vulgar bullshit at, at protests and all this nonsense. It's just it's tragic. I got to really ask, though, where are the real black men in our community? Uh-oh. How is all of this happening and no one's saying anything? What What's really going on? Anytime I see a black man in the spotlight, I mean, other than a few like yourself and, and me, they're talking about they believe men can have babies like Mark Lamont Hill. They're fucking doing the little the little dance like Roland Martin. Like, who are these bozos? You know what I mean? Like, yo, why? I mean, this is the image of black masculinity. Or they're like Warnock. And he's all over the place trying to get them butter biscuits. Or the other Bishop Swan down there in Georgia. Like, they're just argumentative. They're attacking people there. They're promoting all kinds of things that were very foreign to the black community that I knew coming up. And and, and it's just it's just sad, man. We just gotta stop I, being I'm cowards. A, I'm gonna say for a lot of uh black men, black people or whatever, that the stuff on the left is more fun today. I think it's easier. But it's also just fun. Better parties, better drugs, better holes. Uh, literally. And, and it's just like, there's, again, that, that's like, go look at the, when you watch the Democratic National Convention versus the Republican National Convention, as a black person, you'd be like, Gonna have more fun as a dude too. I get it. They're gonna play my music, smooth to them, and they're gonna, they gonna serve Hennessy, and, <laughs> you know, them white women, they're gonna be down, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, a, it's, it's, there's job, in their mind, there's job, there's parties, MSNBC parties, and blah, blah, blah. And then when you think of the, the, the RNC, you think, well, they're gonna play country music, they're gonna they play rock and roll. Yeah, it don't look. It don't look like fun. That's why I go back to religious principles, and in turn, and that's why I go back to. For me, the reason why it's been easy for me is I I I'm gonna create my own fun. Period. End of story. I'm gonna have fun with my group of friends, my guys, and. I grew up with, 
went to high school, played college football with. I, I'm not, I don't want, I, I, when I think of a party, I'm not saying, yeah, I hope LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle, you know, I hope they're there. But most, Roland Martin, Roland Martin went to something. I, I, it blew my mind. It's like, this dude is 50 years old and bragging about going to a, being invited to a George Lopez golf. No yeah, offense the, to George Lopez. The, uh, that, that's the picture where he was sticking out his butt and they was acting like they were smacking it. I saw it, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, he literally said that. I said, you'll never get invited to a George Lopez celebrity golf. And I was like, this dude is grown. Sound like a 12 year old. But this is the way most people think they want, if they're around celebrities, it's, it's somehow, uh, Bron James and underarms don't stink and, uh, <laughs> Gabrielle Union never gets musty and just everything's better with celebrities. And, and you know, too, I've had more access than the average person to the, and, and I'm just like, man, these people ain't nothing special. They fart just like I fart. They don't dance no better. <laughs> nothing. I, and I don't, don't need them for fun, but I'm just saying, most people look and just say, well, that would be more fun, and that's what they, I'm going to throw my principles out the door, I'm going to throw my beliefs out the door, because this shit over here is fun. And... Right. I, I, That's why I, I think some of the decision making. I gotta tell you about the uh the DNC. When I saw the DNC, they showed Billy Porter prancing around in like a chiffon outfit. And oh, I would not have thought it's gonna be more fun over there. I'd have thought like I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not rolling Martin. <laughs> You're not rolling Martin and some of these other folks. That looks like fun to them. But but speaking of fun, man, what's your thoughts on this um this Isley Brothers Earth Wind and Fire versus man? Uh, I, I, it sparked a lot of conversation about real talent, real performances, and it, it was at the time it was great because just last week I had tweeted out a performance of the Dells singing "Oh What a Night." And I and I said, man, black music was so incredible. You know, look how far we've fallen. And then a few days later, this versus comes out and sparks a, a, a conversation. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you can look at my timeline. I don't know if the tweet's still there, but in the past, a month ago, mm -hmm. I tweeted out something about who would you rather. He only had one album or one group, Earth, Wind, and Fire versus Isley Brothers. And I've been tweeting out a lot of music on my Twitter feed, soul, I mean, R&B and gospel music, and, you know, the Isley Brothers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know. And so perfectly timed for me. And I thought Steve Harvey did an awesome job. Uh, the whole thing, to me, that should be a major TV show. Uh, I would love for that to be on a, a big network. But I also think there was, part of it was serious. I mean, Steve Harvey, you know, when he posted it on uh, IG Live or whatever, he didn't go here. But as I was watching it, all I kept thinking about was, hey man, 
this music is incredible. And, and, and the way people reacted to this music all over social media, young people, old people, everybody was like, wow, this is incredible. They don't make music like this. And Steve Harvey did talk about, like, man, this is love music. This is the music you made babies to. This is music that made you feel good. It spoke to your soul. Blah, blah, blah. The only thing I can just kept thinking is like, why don't we make this music anymore? And I'm not blaming the artist. I'm not blaming the artist. The music industry decided not to make this kind of music anymore. Period. End of story. There is no more soul music that speaks to your soul for black people. There is love music has been taken off the the R&B chart. Everything is WAP, Cardi B, or it, 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 they just don't make slow jams or just that kind of music to Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, and I'm looking at people that have a strong desire for that kind of music. Go look at the social media reaction, old, young, whoever. Everybody was like, man, Earth, Wind, and who love this kind of music. And so it's intentional by the music industry, in my view, that this type of music isn't made anymore. And because there is a demand for it, there's an appreciation of it, and they have decided that is not for us. And music is more powerful and impactful and influential than people realize. It's intentional in my view that the music industry has turned hip hop into prison music, mm. turned it in. It's like they set our death and destruction. They put a musical score together to, to multiply that and to enhance that and to normalize. Uh, black. Again, that's why when, when we kill each other as black people, Someone over Twitter compared it to uh, breaking glass in a restaurant. Hmm. People hear it, but no one reacts. No one cares. Ah, you just right. kind of expect it. They're going to drop some glasses at the restaurant and hear it and you just keep on going. We, we have normalized black-on-black violence to the point through music. Then set the music and it's been normalized. The disrespect, all the bitch holes, the, the animosity, the divorce, the, the uh, we don't need each other. The, we've normalized all of it through music. And and I look and I'm about to give a very profane analogy or whatever. Go ahead, when man. I look at the music that uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Isley Brothers made, it's like pussy. <laughs> And at what point, at what point in American history have we ever stopped selling pussy? It's in great demand. It's the oldest profession. It's never, it's always sold 24 seven. But somehow we stopped making soul music. You know, there's great demand for it. This is intentional. It's intended to change our culture into this very violent, 
vile culture that we have. And so I, I thought, you know, I certainly enjoyed the show. I felt like, you know, Steve's a bit handcuffed. He, he can't, you know, he was a guest host and he couldn't. He, he made the point very subtle. He, he laid the table for a great discussion that I wish we could have. Why did this style of music disappear? Uh, man, so I'm, I'm going to attempt to answer that to some degree. That one, profit. Just to, to do a tour with live musicians requires a lot more um, money and expertise. When rap came along, it was almost like, rap is like what black exploitation films was to Hollywood. You could get so much bang for your buck. And initially, rap started off with uh, the break beats in the song, with the breakdown, and the DJ would just loop it manually on the two turntables. And and the rapper, his job, he was like intermission because what a lot of people don't know is when rap started, the DJ was the star, not the MC. But the DJ eventually became obsolete because of the DAT machine where they would play the music, just pipe in. There was even, a, um, I think it was a Tone Loke video where the guy had a turntable hanging around his chest not connected to anything and acting like he was mixing the records because the DJ became obsolete, you know, but before that rap was music made by kids for kids. A lot of times these were poor kids. Most of the times they didn't have equipment, didn't have money for, um, for lessons and so on and so forth. So they, they improvised and, and, and it took on a life of its own. And of course, once it got commercialized, there was really no going back to uh, to the old way when you could make so much money off of these people who, I don't want to say didn't have any talent, but the talent was very, very different from what was the standard previously. Um, rappers didn't even have to like know how to write music, read music, play music. They used other people's music. As a matter of fact, before rap, there wasn't even laws for sampling because nobody just used somebody else's music. You know, like, you know, it's like, it's almost like when you say you're a producer in rap, you're really a reproducer. Like, if you look at the credits for uh, Dr. J's, the, um, Dr. Dre's, The Chronic, it's George Clinton all over it because all he did was redo Parliament Funkadelic. You know, he enhanced the sounds. With, with 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 you know digital digital effects and so on and so forth MIDI equipment, but it required so little to generate so much money, and it kind of it, it kind of changed the game. And those guys didn't have any real stage performance. You know they walked back and forth, grabbing their crotch. There's a, a whole bunch of their friends on stage with them because you know they. They can't really captivate you on their own. Like I, I mean, the signs were always there. And I'm from the hip-hop era. I, I mean, I'm from when it began, you know what I mean? And and from where it began. And I and I and I love hip-hop, but I would never ever say that those guys were anywhere in the same category of talent 
is people like the Isley Brothers and the Earth, Wind, and Fire, or the Dells, or a whole lot of whole lot of other groups, Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass, and so on and so forth. It's just a whole different level and understanding of music. I think because it was started by kids and made for kids, the standard didn't have to be that great, man. The problem with it is it didn't evolve. Some would say it devolved. And the, the normalization of the N-word, I mean, I, I, I trace it to NWA, but really... Who was their influence? I believe Richard Pryor. He normalized the N-word, not the rappers. He, you know, he eventually rejected it, but I yes, hear you. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. See, but I'm going back because I, yep. I got a couple years on me. He normalized it. He did a lot to normalize the N-word. And, and Bill Cosby had called him out on it uh, immediately. And that's not to say that the N-word wasn't in the... Um, in usage, but what happened with with rap is that right? It has taken elements in certain subsets of the black community, be it gang, gang banging or pimping. These things do happen in the black community, but the commercialization of it made it seem like this was what everybody was into. And these are just niche, niche groups. I saw Luke Skywalker when he was called Luke Skywalker before Steven Spielberg made him drop the Skywalker. But, um, oh, George Lucas, excuse me. George Lucas made him drop the Skywalker. I watched him defend the music he was promoting as black culture. And it, it wasn't black culture. It was thing. It was something that was, you know, really popular in Miami, but in New York, where I was from, where I'm from, young guys didn't go to strip clubs like that or peep shows. We went to the club, man. Like, you know, um, it wasn't until I went to the South where I started seeing that young people would go go to the strip club. It was like a social event, you know. In New York, when I was coming up. We thought that was for dirty old men, you know. But now it's now it's the norm. I it, and and I, and I say that I not to say I agree with you, man. But but, but I, I say that not to take away. <laughs> I say that not to take away from anybody else. I just yep. think labeling it as a black experience across the board. I think that's where things went wrong. But it's no different from what's happening in politics. You have different elements of the black community. Yes, there's LGBT in the black community, and so on and so forth. But you can't just put a one-size-fit-all label on everything, be it music, the culture, politics, or whatever, because we are not a monolith. So now, back to the music, the commercialization of the music. They wanted to simplify it. They didn't want all these different... They didn't want to confuse the consumer. So it's like, this is black culture. And you have white execs defining black culture, much like you have white liberals defining black politics. And from the very beginning, taking it back to something I said earlier, that the root of our problem is we have to figure out who we are on our own instead of embracing what everybody else says. 
I get I get upset when people call hip hop black culture. How is something your culture that you don't own and you don't dictate? This is not your culture. For real, for me, a culture is a blueprint for success. And and the and rap is the antithesis of that. It has become a blueprint for destruction. That's a great point and one I you know, the expense of first wind and fire. Yes. The expense of the Isley brothers, the Ohio players, and all you know, these big bands and groups of seven, eight people. I, I, I get it. But there still is a demand for that type of music. There's still a profit to be made off that type of music, in my view. And, and then the, the other thing that I made me just think of is that, take the Isley Brothers, the name, the Isley Brothers. There were three or four of them. They're from Cincinnati. This was a family group. Jackson Five, mm-hmm. uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think Maurice White. I think a couple of his brothers was in Earth, Wind, and Fire as well. Mm-hmm. There were these big bands of family members and close friends, guys from the neighborhood that uh, you know went out and made music and made money together. One of them would become, or two of them, one, two of them may become breakout stars. And we've just moved away from that style of music. But Curtis, you can't tell, and I get that they came up with a simpler way to make music, and there's virtually no expense to rap. And you know, I'll say, I I think there's, let's say there's 200 rappers with some sort of following. I think there's only five of them that have talent that is unique. The rest of them are just products of a system. And maybe that was true in other form. Maybe NSYNC or maybe who know any of these groups. There's no talent. And it's just some puppet masters behind the scenes. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty deep off into the rap game. And uh, other than there's just a handful of them got talent. The rest of them are all interchangeable. Dr. Dr. Dre, with his beats that he would come up with, he can make you and me sound like incredible rappers. And so I, I, I get your point, but it's hard for me to believe there isn't a way to make money off the kind of music Earth, Wind & Fire and the Isley Brothers You can still make money that way. I mean, Frankie Beverly was still touring until recently, I believe, and he's an old school artist. I think there is a demand, but let, let's let's be honest here, right? Because I've promoted shows and stuff like that. And when it comes to entertainment, you primarily want to target. You make most of your money from people with the most disposable income, and they tend to be young. So the younger your demographic that you're targeting is the more money you stand to make. Because all the people, they may like the Isley Brothers, but they have mortgages, alimony payments, college tuition, so on and so forth. And they might say, you know what, I'll catch them the next time. 
Young people, man, they want to catch every show every time. They don't really have a whole lot else going on. And I'm generalizing, of course, but I think from the um, from from the and I'm saying young people would want music like the Ozzy Brothers make. No, I I don't I don't know. I don't think anybody wants to take that bet. You know, um, you can book a lot of these acts, but it's kind of it's kind of weird. And even now in the business, I don't want to go off into it, but you got a company like Live Nation that's owning venues all around the country and they're doing their own like in-house thing and they'll 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 hire a promoter locally to take care of the stuff on the ground. But promotions man, uh that's a that's a that's a tough game. Everybody's trying to get paid, man. I remember I did a Bernie Mac show, right? It was uh Bernie Mac was headlining, I think Melanie Camacho, uh, Fat Fat Man, Funny Man, Fat Man, Bruce Bruce, a couple of them. This was 1994. And one of the first things um, Bernie Mac's road manager, business manager, whoever he was, they wanted to look at the, the ticket price and how many tickets were sold. Because if I made more money than 15%, they feel like they undercharged. And everybody's fighting. Now, me as a promoter, if I put up all my money and did the work to promote, I think I deserve more than 15% because it's my money at risk. But when you talk to everybody and then you got the talent agency and everybody, they want theirs and the venue, they want theirs. And sometimes, man, that's why the ticket prices are so high and that's why a lot of shows don't happen. But on on another note, I think what has happened with rap in particular is that it, it, may not, it may not have started out like this, but there's a value to rap for people who want to um, socially engineer an entire generation, be it introducing them to criminality, drug use, and so on and so forth, I, or, or even um, transgenderism or whatever. I don't believe the trends in the music are directly reflective of the, the community that the music supposedly comes from. One of the strangest things in rap is that during the 80s, when when um, violence was at an all-time high in, in urban America, the music was not violent. The music just wasn't violent. Brooklyn was so wild, but the, the biggest rap group out of Brooklyn was the Fat Boys. And they didn't talk about anything. They was talking about, oh, new kiddies. And people were dropping like flies. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's bizarre. At some point, though, after NWA, they saw the profitability in in promoting violence and degeneracy, and things started to change. It it, it really did, and um, and it went from one thing to another. It went from promoting gang culture to promoting drug culture to promoting whatever, to infighting actual people getting killed to sell records. When you think about that, 
that has to be the most, you know, despicable legacy of rap that black men started not liking each other because of what part of the country they came from. And there's still some of that in the music today. And we're literally killing each other over this. And you had a scumbag like Jimmy Iovine over at Interscope Records with his blood-soaked pockets just making money hand over fist off of this dysfunction. And, and, and this is why I never really celebrate uh, um, Dr. Dre, uh, Death Row Records, any of that stuff. Not because they're from California and I'm from New York, but because I see the pivotal role they play in, 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 in just taking advantage of ignorance, perpetuating it, cultivating it, and then monetizing it. And that's when I think of rap, there's a lot of that going on, man. They set, they set a dangerous trend that still goes on. 50 Cent did it. He came through with the same thing. Instead of New York, California, it was 50 Cent versus Murder, Inc. and Su Supreme Team. And when you think about it, what kind of goddamn record label is calling itself Murder, Inc.? This is music. This is wrong. Yo, man, this is just, this is, yo, this is the pinnacle of, of dysfunction, if not self-destruction, man. It's, I just can't, and I love rap. I, I, yo, man, I, I come up with rap. I grew up with Reverend Run and DMC and, and Jam Master J. I, I grew up with these dudes. I knew Run and DMC since I was seven years old, man. Since second grade. Run used to come to my house. And, and, and me and him walked to school together every day. I used to play football with DMC, tackling the snow. He had me thinking I wanted to be a football player. Like, I, like these were my friends. DMC used to draw car, comic books, and I'd write the words to the characters, like, when we were, like, in fifth grade. Like. So I really know these guys, and I know rap, and I think it created a lot of opportunity for, for a lot of people. But they can't ignore the role that rap is playing. And that's what a lot of us do. Rather than clean our own house, we start looking somewhere else to go fix the problems over there. I set a mouthful. The only thing, I, here's where I'll push back, and I don't want to defend the rappers, but I have to. And the industry dictates the content. 50 Cent, Snoop Dogg, they can rap about anything. If, if they want to rap the way KRS-One used to rap, a public enemy used to rap, uh, and, and again, the, the rap that was coming out of New York, a lot of to me in the 80s, early 90s, all very positive. And then NWA was the disruptor. It, it, we went from conscious rap to NWA taking rap completely different. Took it to pornography. Basically, <laughs> and look, man, 
And, and so some of it is just economic forces at work. It's capitalism at work. The number one thing people do on the internet is download porn. Oh, the number man. one thing. Damn. Damn. Seriously. That's, wow. that's just a fact. Porn. porn. <laughs> and there was a reason why Playboy and Hugh Hefner made all that money and just porn is a powerful, powerful commodity. And the music industry as it relates to rap like here's a cheap product, doesn't take much talent. <laughs> it's like it's putting a woman on a stripper pole, it's you know, stripping it down in Hustler magazine and it doesn't take a lot of talent. It takes big titties. And, you know, to be on a, a decent diet, if you're 120 pounds, we can make money. And that's what they did to rap. And so I, I, I don't, the industry, the shot callers, the executives decide, you know what, for black culture, for black people, we're going to turn this powerful music that had been educating, uplifting, inspiring black people, we're going to make it pornographic. And the thing that drives me crazy is, trust me, they could make country music pornographic and it would sell more. People, but they don't. Oh, but they don't. Everybody else, there's a little line that they won't cross. But for us, we cross the line and and and, and literally... We celebrate the pornographers. That's what drives me crazy. I don't mind Dr. Dre, Ice they're pornographers. Don't, Hugh Hefner was a pornographer. They didn't run him out there like he's a leader for the white community. He speaks for the white community. Thanks. No, Hugh Hefner is a pornographer. He throws nice parties over at his mansion. Uh, he's in that lane. We've moved the rappers into this spokesman, political leaders, and <laughs> what cracks me up is like you can go to any city, any, any any town, and somebody will get shot and killed, and he'll make news. One a black person will make news if he's killed by a white person. That'll make news, or if they can say, "Well, he's a rapper, local yeah. rapper, yeah. Shoeshine boy, shot and killed." It's like we pay. <laughs> Rapping like it's almost like being a minister. It's oh, important. It's a community leader. So, yes, community leader. He's a rapper. Here's a dude that sold ten albums, but they label him a rapper, and so therefore it's news. Rapper so and so got killed. We put him on a pedestal that I just don't see other pornographers. And again, I've been to Hugh Hefner's house for party. This isn't me put myself on some pedestal again. I told you I'm a, you know, I'm a sinner. Or, and, and I'm sinning less. I'm making progress. But again, I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to denigrate the rappers. I'm just trying to say, why have we put them on this pedestal? Like, maybe is some kind of thought leader, public intellectual that has a slip. This dude sold dope, preyed on his own community, and now raps about dope, pimping, and killing, and drug dealing, and and but we act like he's uh shit. He's right next to Barack Obama, and Barack Obama acts like he's right next to Barack Obama. I don't get it. 
Yo. Man, listen. The the music. The like like I called out uh Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy Iovine was the driving force behind Death Row, Dr. Dre, and 50 Cent, by the way. He has so much blood on his hands, man. Um and of course everybody's still supporting him. Beats by Dre. That's Jimmy Iovine. That's Jimmy Iovine. Dre can't make a move without Jimmy Iovine. Dre's the front man. Jimmy's calling the shots. But over on the East Coast, you had Leo Cohen. Leo is an Israeli. He put Young Thug in a dress. He would never put an Israeli artist in a dress like that. You know, it, they, it's, it's what you're saying. We are too willing to, to do these things to get ahead. And it, it comes from our economic disadvantage. You look at Takashi 69 He's a Latino kid. Yo, look at the people behind him. Lucian Grange, I believe, is still the head of Universal Music Group, and his son, Elliot Grange. Like, these people have a lot of money. I don't even understand. I don't even believe they're just doing it for the money. I think there's a social engineering component that people are overlooking in all of this. Because you can make money doing a lot of things. And you're right. That same industry, if it desired so, can get talented people. They don't have to be the Isley brothers, but they can go out and find young people who play instruments and sing clean So I remember when you couldn't even cuss on a rap record. Now, if you make one without a cuss, nobody wants to hear it. It's, it's that You can't make the rap music without the N-word, period, in no. And I remember when they never used to say it. And it was yeah. selling. And it was selling. So yeah. we've been culturally, socially conditioned, engineered, whatever you want to say, to go into this deep abyss that it's going to be hard for us to come out of. You know, I I, I, I just, I, I, I'm disgusted with what those people have done to something and with something that I think started in a very pure place. Just innocence, kids being kids. On another note, what's your thoughts on this Paul Pierce ESPN situation, man? I saw you tweet about it. What what do you really think is going on? I'm thinking, right, that maybe he wanted out of a contract, but I don't know how these things work. Damn. Was he that reckless? Jesus. Yeah, I, listen, what I think, and again, met Paul at age 18, freshman basketball player at Kansas, covered his whole college career. Uh, great young guy. And uh, probably still is a great young man, although he's 43 now. But he's got the same problem that a lot of people have. He's addicted to social media. Damn. He's addicted to the fame and the, the dopamine and this, you got 4 million Twitter followers and you get hooked on that drug and you start feeding your addiction and so I, I just think you get caught up and particularly if you use drugs and you're smoking weed and probably drinking and he decided to feed his social media addiction 
at a private party. Uh, he was throwing it and just he just got caught up and just did something silly and stupid. It's it's for Antonio Brown, the wide receiver in the NFL. That it started with him when he he the, the Steelers won a football game and he live streamed his coaches post game comments. And I can remember at the time saying, like, oh man, that's a problem. This mm. dude doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't. He's living to share his life on social media. This is going to be a problem for the Steelers and Antonio Brown. And that's what I think we're looking at here is like, this is the first symptom. Like, oh, this dude's got a social media problem. His friends should be asking, do you have a drinking and or drug problem? Wow. Uh, because, again, it just, people got upset with me for, you know, comparing him to AB. And and all I'm saying is like, hey man, AB's problem started with his social media addiction. It spun out of control and all these other things. We're looking at a sign here from Paul Pierce. He he can have a poker party. He can have strippers at a poker party. I think he's probably out in California. I think it's legal to smoke weed. You don't have to put all that on social media. And I just go back to why can't people have a private life anymore? Why not have a private life? There's, I didn't see any. I'm just. I told you I'm a sinner. I didn't see anything on that video that somebody couldn't say. Oh, you sure? You know, any of my friends will tell you I'm the greatest basketball party thrower in the history of America. Oh wow! And <laughs> that's my reputation. Wow. So I can't say that. But again, you're not gonna. It'll never be live stream. Yeah. And it, it, it's he's got an issue, and and I don't blame ESPN uh, for moving on, parting ways with him, uh, and and whoever else gets in bed with him, uh, you know, they should get the guy some help and try to. But it's hard to disconnect people. Once you make that commitment to social media as your God, it's, it's hard to disconnect. If if he didn't break any laws, smoking marijuana is legal. I mean, the girls were just dancing. Should he be fired? Maybe they wanted to get rid of him anyway. Uh, yeah, well, if, if you, because you don't pay that close attention to what's world. Paul Pierce, his broadcast, he tends to troll LeBron James. Okay. And, and his his commentary is long on controversy, short on subject. Uh, and, and so it's just this, and now it's like you're looking at it like, wow, man, this is a little bit out of control. He's always trolling. And even when he's on ESPN TV. And again, I haven't had a big problem with his commentary just because ESPN's NBA show is so bad in comparison to TNT that at least Paul Pierce was doing something on there that would make ESPN's NBA show relevant. But now, 
with this additional information of like, this dude got a little social media addiction problem. Mm-hmm. It just makes everything seem inauthentic. And so I don't, ESPN's moving on because it's just like, he's going to continue to say this controversial stuff. And anytime he does, if he's critical of somebody, they're going to throw these videos up in his face and like, does he even believe this shit? Or is he just doing this to draw attention? So they had to move on. They're painting million, million and a half, two million bucks and just not getting the bang for the buck. Damn, he he blew that with that foolishness. Yeah. Damn. And, and what about these other two? Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport, man. Well, that's a tough one. Uh, because obviously Durant's response to Rappaport was bad, inappropriate, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why he got that in depth going back and forth with, uh, with, with Michael Rappaport. Uh, and certainly his comments come across as homophobic and just inappropriate. Uh, but he has that, he certainly, Durant didn't apologize and he has that elite privilege, you know, he's a tall, rich NBA player, so that's almost like being a rapper, you can say anything, you know, uh, <laughs> like Eminem on on Dr. Dre's last album says, even the women I rape, I oh, shit. ejaculate, he said, that, he said, so a rapper can say anything, and there's no standards, he, he literally said that on a Dre song, and so basketball players, are in that same category where they're basically free to say anything. We hold them to no standard. As long as they take a knee or pretend to play woke, they can do whatever they want. Uh, Rappaport is a troll. Yes. And, you know, he's a New York guy. You probably got some thoughts on Rappaport. He, you know, he certainly, uh, wants to be down with the brother. And, uh, but, but, you know, his little thing, the, his little thing yesterday, I think, on Undisputed, I think that was a gimmick. Yeah. I think he was built and being yeah. sarcastic. Yeah. But, uh. His dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. my, my, you know, honestly, I think the reason why Durant can get away without apologizing is because Rappaport is washed up and he's a non factor. Had he been somebody of a higher standing, he probably would have had to apologize, you know, but Rappaport, Rappaport is, um, he's washed up, man. He's just, he's not growing old gracefully. Let me say that. And he's doing anything for attention. I I don't, I didn't read all the tweets, but I, I think that's just a bitch move to take the tweets public. I, I just think that's consistent with Rappaport. Being a goddamn hoe, and I'm not even a big KD fan like that. Like, I'm just giving you my take on it because I I think when uh, if when men have a certain disagreement behind the scenes, you know, even women like I'm not a guy that would talk about women I've dated, or and you know, 
certain things that happen privately, I think they should just stay privately, you know, or put and uh I think Yeah, like Paul Pierce smoking dope and uh, <laughs> getting lap dances at a poker party. Yeah, it's, uh, it's everything's fun. not for everybody, man. I, I really feel like in this situation, it could have been the other way around. If if Durant had went public with things, Rappaport tested him, I would have been saying, Durant's a bitch, motherfucker, man. Like, yo, but I just think that these dudes are grown men. It shouldn't have been it shouldn't have been big news. I don't think Durant should have got fined fifty thousand dollars or any of that. I, I I just don't. I don't I don't, man. Men have their issues with each other, man. That that's that's private. The standard the NBA has set for wokeness, Yo, the look. NBA should have fined him a million dollars. Look, man. Uh, I, I guarantee you this: if Durant was white, it would have been more than fifty thousand dollars. You think so? Oh uh, God. Oh man, oh, see, I don't like them. If if they was white, if they was black, arguments. But I, they so subjective, man. Like, yo, I agree, but it's true. No man, uh, trust me on this. If Durant was, if that was Luka Doncic talking to some black media person and calling him a cum dust, money, blah blah blah. Oh, come on, man. You you kind <laughs> you you kind of pushing you moving me a little bit with that. I didn't think of it like that, you know, but. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's look, man. I just, I just think men need to be men. And and Kevin Durant, if you happen to hear this, man, choose some better friends, man. Everybody that's famous ain't cool to be with, you know. Look. Well, I don't. They're not even. I don't even know if they're friends. It's one of the issues Durant had is he engages with anybody over social media. He's he's kind of like me, but he's not. He doesn't have my thick skin. And he doesn't know how to just laugh these people off and just, you know, uh, he's got, he needs to remember, man, he's, he's worth two, three hundred million dollars. A lot of money, man. A lot. And these other people ain't worth half of that and just laugh them off. Uh, that would be my advice to him. I, I, I tend to like Durant. I think he's real, uh, you know, to a fault. He's real. Uh, and you know, I, I couldn't imagine living in that bubble that he does. But I would just advise, man, you gotta laugh these people off and, yeah. and not take everything to the person. And what a lot of people don't don't know because LeBron gets so much good publicity, Durant is making a whole hell of a lot of moves away from basketball yeah. as well in the tech yeah. sector and so on and so forth. He got, I guess, he's getting pointed in the right direction. So yes, you're right. He has a lot to lose. And a lot of things, if not people, are really beneath him. And 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 last but not least, um, you always rail against big tech. What are your thoughts on Clarence Thomas arguing it's time to rein in uh, social media tech platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and Google? saying they should be regulated like utilities, like the phone company. What's your thoughts on it? Is it long overdue? What, what's, what's happening? It, it's, this is the first time where I was like, oh, man, this is why they ought to get Clarence Thomas and have been trying to denigrate this dude for 20 years or how it's been longer than that, damn near 30 years. Uh, 
It's like, I get it. This dude uh, is a lot smarter than the media has ever given him credit for. Uh, and he's dangerous. And, and I'm glad he took this position. Uh, you know, I think he'll, re- it's been in the past month. I watched the documentary on Claire Thomas. I did too. I didn't, I didn't know his background. Mm-hmm. I didn't know all that he had overcome. Fascinating story and it made my respect for him, uh, elevate. Um, that, that guy is much meatier and, uh, smarter than he's given credit for, uh, by the mainstream media. No, dangerous black man. Yeah, I, I saw the doc, and my takeaway from the doc was, why does everybody hate this guy again? Like, I, I just, you know, <laughs> he didn't even really attack anybody or any party. Or, I, and then when Amazon took his video down, his documentary down, I was even more confused, like, because he didn't go on the attack. He simply presented himself as this is who I am. This is where I've been. The guy wanted to be a priest. Oh, I mean, yo, look, man. I, I watched that documentary and I couldn't find anything for people to hate him. There are definitely things that people could disagree with him on. But hate, is that where we are now? That we hate people? Who think differently from us? Yeah, I think as it relates to him and as it relates to the left, any black, any self made black man who doesn't scream from the top of his lungs, thank you, these liberal white people that made me, they, they just despise him. And so, this guy is a product of his grandfather and a very tough upbringing. And grandfather was hard as hell on him, my God. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, he feels like he's a self-made person. And the left doesn't like that as it relates to black people. And, I, you know, when they got into his background of why he left, his pursuit of being a priest, you know, was over the way that uh, school or the, the priest reacted to the assassination of Martin Luther King. Am I, am I remembering that right? Uh, yeah, he was a radical uh, leftist. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> just like, they, I mean, this dude stood on principle. It was eye-opening. And this dude, I'm out. F y'all, I'm out. I'm like, this dude ain't no sellout. What are y'all talking about? Yo, man. I, I Look, you know, I don't. I watched that documentary. And again, I've heard nothing but bad things about him. I'm not really all that into politics. I can't tell you what, what he did and what he didn't do on the court. I, it's just not my thing. I focus on economics, on things I can touch, people I can touch. But I'm... I'm I'm getting introduced to this more and more, man. And and from what I see, man, what he's doing, they said that he never said a word the whole time 
that he was there, that Scalia did all the talking or whatever. Like he was a a little um, a little you know puppy for Scalia or something. And now I, I think they're gonna wish that he he hasn't started talking. Like you know what I mean? Because it, 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 he's gonna take people to task. He's been sitting quiet for a long time, but there was a lot going on in his head, man. But do do well, you think do you think the social media platforms need to be reined in? Without question, and they should be treated like utilities. They need to be broken up. I've said it forever. Bowser, uh, let's get them. There should be a Twitter headquarters in every state that's independent. It can't be run by a group of people sitting in Silicon Valley where they have all the influence again. But the values and the point of view of the people in Northern California are different than the values of people in East Tennessee or uh, Central Indiana or anywhere in Illinois. And so we're being an ideology being stuffed down all of America's throat. Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them controlled out of Silicon Valley. Of course you need to break that up. One little area of the country should not have that much control over public discourse. When when um when I saw see I, I didn't know the extent of Section 230 and all these different things that I'm not going to get into, but I started learning about it and, you know, the protections that they had. But when when Trump got sus- suspended from Twitter, it was a wake-up call for me and for a lot of people. I know a lot of people left Twitter. I decided to stay, to utilize it, to help build and launch my website, schooltv.com, that I'm going to launch on April 20th. And I'm putting it on a designated server because I want to be able to have content that maybe YouTube or some other platform wouldn't agree with. I don't want to embed it from the other, from YouTube and stuff like that. A lot of people have been deplatformed. I think it's censorship. Unless, unless you're threatening people talking about doing harm to people, I don't think there's really a need to um, to censor views, dissenting views. I think I think all views are important. They need to be some kind of value. Well, not all, but 90% of them are very important. The other 10%, they're probably just inconsequential. But I think people need to be able to express their views, have their views challenged, and 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 possibly educate and inform people who didn't do the work. And there needs to be places like that. I took the initiative to get a, a designated server and build a site. I don't know if it means that much to the average person that they go that far, but somebody has to do it. Because even on Twitter right now, I'm very careful about my engagements and what I say. Cause I've lost one account. I don't want to lose another. Curtis, I'm out of time. All right, brother. That was the end for me. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Another one in the books, man. Thank you. Right, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Share, subscribe, and like our YouTube channel to get alerts for new episodes. 
and stay tuned for schoontv.com. The media site is coming.